Hey folks, welcome back to the DC Three Cast. I am Brian. With me, as always, are Zach and Vince, and we're going to talk about DC Comics, specifically the DC Comics released on May second, twenty eighteen. So, if you haven't read the books yet, pause your podcast, go read them, and come back and talk with us. We are going to start with DC's not quite free book that came out this week, the twenty five cent DC Nation number zero, which is made up of three stories that all sort of hint at DC's summer and what's coming, but more than the summer, specifically what's happening in May and June. So, um, I guess July for the first one. So the, the book begins with a story called Your Big Day, written by Tom King, illustrated by Clay Mann, and this is the story of the Joker waiting for the invitation to Batman and Catwoman's wedding. Now, I have thoughts on this, but I know... I don't have- I know you guys have have thought, and we're not going to spend a lot of time on this. But overall, is this the worst thing you've ever read? <laughs> yes, maybe. <laughs> there's an there's an issue of a comic later tonight that's worse than this, but it's darn close. Um, I hate this. It's just not. It's. I guess this just isn't going to work out between me and Tom King. <laughs> so um, we need to kind of set the stage here. So this issue is all about the Joker picks a random house and is going to wait there for his invitation to Batman and Catwoman's wedding. And if the invitation doesn't come, he's going to kill the guy whose house it is. And that's essentially all you need to know. You also, I, I guess, you don't need to know, but you find out over the course of this issue that Tom King's Joker tells terrible jokes. And I feel like that's something who has never read a Joker comic would assume the Joker does. But the Joker doesn't really tell jokes that often. Right? Yeah, I mean, they're not funny. You know, it'd be one thing if they're funny or whatever. No, but, to, um, but to me, this is Tom King writing the Joker as if the Joker is to jokes like the Riddler is to riddles. Yeah. Well, and the thing is, is that he he tells jokes and they have no... It'd be different if they had, like, some sort of subtext to them, too, you know? But, like, he leans his head into the mailbox or the mail slot and he says, What's brown and sticky? A stick. That's not I mean that that's that's randomness for the sake of being random. This this joker is I'm so wacky and random and I don't have a plan. That's why I showed up at your house even though you have nothing to do with this. And oh, I won't kill you at the end and guess what he does on the last page? Oh my god, the most twisted thing, he kills him. <laughs> it's like everything is Tom King's Joker is the random chaos joker you know and i guess maybe that's fine for some people it's not really my joker my my joke the joker that i like and i'm gonna admit bias here is the dapper joker that comes in and has goons running around and maybe he's not playing a prince song on the radio but he's like he's he's driving his joker mobile around and he's shooting off like uh 
you know, sparklers or whatever, just being silly, you know, and I'm, I've had enough of this edgelord random Joker where like the Joker just stands in for random chaos and it's so twisted that he shows up at somebody's house who has nothing to do with this, you know, it's just not what I would prefer. And even if it were, I'm not, I don't think Tom King's very successful at it. I think that's why the war of jokes and riddles was like the worst arc of this whole run. Um, so far, so far we've got, another 50 issues to go um but i i've i've said my piece on this part i'm i'm done with it zach take it away. I'm, do- I'm done too i like <laughs> i i don't want to be overly negative but like i just don't like this and i'm never gonna like this and this is just this is just i mean you you edgelord is the best thing yes, like the that, best way to describe that, this that is like, a fantastic way to describe this like this is this is edginess and just and just twistedness for the sake of just being dark. Like honestly, I probably I'll be honest, like I probably wouldn't have hated this story as much if he hadn't shot the guy at the end. I sure. agree with that. Yeah. But like, you, knew, I think you knew it was coming. It almost too, would have worked. Yeah, you did know it was coming. And yeah. that's like the worst part about it. And the I, think. I would say the thing that that's even more frustrating is that in the Joker's mind, he does get the invitation. Like he opens yeah. up this random piece of mail and declares that that is his invitation, and still kills the guy. To me, that just eliminates any like any tie to actual storytelling that was here. It's just again, it, it's it's emphasizing the Joker as being random and crazy, as opposed to being a character that you have any interest in. Um, the one panel I liked in this, and it's because it's so over the top, is so the Joker is constantly telling these terrible jokes to this guy Roger, and he's looking for a reaction. And there's a there's a uh, a joke he tells where he says, "Hey Roger, did you hear the one about the letter that never stamp?" And he says, eh, you wouldn't get it. And then the Joker does this, like, over-exaggerated smile where he's mm-hmm. like, eh? Like, and it reminded me of Frankenstein Waste a Minute of Your Time from Conan. <laughs> and so that's why I appreciated that one panel. Fair it's just, enough. You, Clay Man you does sold a, it to me. Clay Man does, does a good job of really capturing, like, what that's... You know, he he's he's doing a good job of of, of trying to put into onto paper what Tom King is is trying to get at here. And it's the yeah. only panel to me that has any bit of actual playfulness to it. I, I think that whole segment is something that you could read in Mark Hamill's Joker voice too. And it would it would be just perfect, you know? Yes. I could just I can just hear him saying eh, Yeah, he you wouldn't would... get it. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. But uh yeah, but this isn't that. <laughs> No. So, so, so here's my question. We have we have been pretty down on Tom King's Batman, and we're not going to dwell on this. We're really not. But what was the arc that we had relatively recently that you guys didn't hate? Wasn't it the Joel Jones, um, like, Talia al Ghul one? I guess so. That's the one that Vince liked. Is that the one I liked? I thought, or was there another one? 
That was the one I really liked. I thought that, yeah, the whole swashbuckling angle with Talia and Joel Jones's art. Basically, any issue that Joel Jones had a, a hand in, I really liked. I also, um, like, haven't disliked... I feel like I kind of liked the stuff leading up to this Booster Gold arc, too. I feel... Well, no, I didn't like the... I forgot. I didn't like the Poison Ivy one. Um, that was bad, too. That was bad. But my question is this. I, I kind of respect Tom King for being so ambitious and saying, like, you know, I have 100 issues planned and all of this. Is there anything that can win us back at this point? Or is this just has to be one of those things that isn't for us? I won't say that it's never, it can't ever be f- for us, because there are things that I like. Um, every once in a while, he'll do something that I enjoy. Um, and you know, honestly, like I kind of liked, I kind of didn't hate some of the stuff in the beginning. Like I hated the I am suicide arc, but there was stuff that I could potentially have gotten behind if it just continued to be this like over the top campy Batman. Um, I'm trying to look. Yeah, the Rules of Engagement arc was the one that we liked. And then I also really liked that annual issue a lot. Which was the annual this year? I can't remember. That was the one where... Last year had the had the Ace the Bat Hound annual issue. Yeah, it, no, that one was awful. This was the one that had Lee Weeks <laughs> art. And it ended with that like Butch Geis, I think, part where they're in the future... I don't remember that at all. I'm sure I read it. I'm sure we talked about it. <laughs> I think it was Butch Guy something. No, or maybe it was Steve Epting. I'm getting it mixed up. Um, but it was really good. And then even that, um, there was something that I just saw that came after that that I liked. It was, um, well, if I could get out of here. Comicsology is really frustrating sometimes. Um, this is riveting airtime. I know it is. But, but anyway, well, but, uh, well, while you look for that, I'll, I'll answer the question. I oh, this this the one with Batman and Wonder Woman. Oh and yeah, the, oh yeah, yeah yeah. Oh, and the double dates like the that that was good stuff. Like the Batman's Superman. Yeah, there was. Yep. Was, yeah, that stuff was all good. I. What ha- what happens is to give you guys a little peek behind the DC three curtain here is when I read a bad issue of Tom King's Batman or something related to Tom King's Batman, I immediately text the boys and I tell them I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> I hate this. It will never be for me. I hate it with my life. This is the worst thing I've ever read. And I think I still, f- I don't soften on those issues that I hated but then something will come around and I'll say, okay, well, I overreacted by saying none of this will ever be for me. So I think I'm kind of with Zach there. But it doesn't make me hate the arcs that I hate any less. And I mean I hate them with like a deep-seated hate. Like <laughs> like this Joker thing, it, I read it and I was so angry. And I need to go to therapy for that. But, <laughs> you know, that's outside the show. Um, and the same with the Batman issue from this week, but yes, yeah, I, I, I was thinking about this and 
I don't know if there's any sort of redemption to to the first half of this book being so bad. Like, there are definitely certain books that we've all read where when you get to the end of it, it recontextualizes the beginning of it. And I don't know oh, if that's possible yeah, that's, here. No, that's not going to happen. Yep. But I felt like there was a time when that could have happened. Maybe. Like, we're just too far gone now. Like, we thought we were kind of going to get that with the button, you know? The button. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think... Um, and the, I loved the, that... Oh, go ahead. No, no, keep going, Zach. Keep, keep well, going. Well, I was going to say, I, you guys remember, like, the end of that first arc, there was that flash forward with Duke and Gotham Girl and how much I, like, ate that up. Yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. There, there are bits and pieces, like, throughout this that I could rally behind but yeah i well see i think what i was gonna say is i generally like the idea of bruce and selena together and i think that that's one thing that above everything else tom king has done pretty well with aside from the whole bat and cat thing that kind of drives us nuts and we make fun of the the concept and most of the execution works for me I feel like when the story is really centered on those two, in in a meaningful way, advancing their relationship, which I don't think to spoil a future issue we're going to talk about. I don't think I think Batman forty four fails at that wildly. Um, but when they're adv- when he's advancing that relationship, I'm really invested in that. And if if all we get out of Tom King's Batman that's of any use to me is a status quo where Bruce and Selena are together. I'm in for that. That's totally cool. That's fine with me. I like that as a concept. I wish DC would push forward on things like that. I, you know, the problem is, is that there's so much that doesn't work that I don't think it's salvageable as a thing that comes back around in the end. Like anytime we see the Joker and the Riddler, I'm guessing they're going to be written in a way that just doesn't agree with me. And I feel like those are two major bat characters that if he's going to keep bringing them around or bring them around again or something comes full circle in the end, it's just not going to – that's not going to ever connect with me. Same with Bane. The Bane stuff, I totally bought none of it, you know. Um, so I, I guess the, the one thing I can take home is Bruce and Selina, and I just don't see it coming full circle in a way that I'm going to like. I I don't know what that would look like. That's fair. So. Shall we move on? Yes. We should. Okay, so the next story is called Office Space, and it's all about Milton and uh, <laughs> Michael Bolton. And, no, I'm kidding. It's uh, written by Brian Michael Bendis, illustrated by Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, and uh, this is a Superman story, and it's the beginning of... Uh, it's, it's sort of the part part two of part one of Bendis' Superman story. Uh, it, it drops some some interesting information for the beginning of Bendis' arc, but it doesn't tell us too much. We know Lois Lane is missing, and we know that um, Clark is still writing at the Daily Planet, and that Perry White knows that Lois is missing, but no one else really seems to. John is not mentioned at all in this. And despite all of that, I actually really like this. 
<laughs> I think Bendis's Clark Kent voice is really good. Am yeah. I alone in that? No, I lo- nope. I think I it's good. A lot. I think his Perry White is good. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I think, I think so too. I think his Clark is really good. I think the Lois and John stuff is going to be Bendis toying with us. Yeah, I think it's a red mm-hmm. herring. Yeah. It's it's like a first arc or two or maybe even three thing, you know. It's like a it's a thing to worry us all because he has to know, right? Like he has to know how it would be received to take John and Lois off the table, right? So he's going to dangle that for a little while, right? I also see why, as a new writer coming in, you maybe want to focus on Superman for a while and not have to worry about finding interesting things for those characters to do and this is a convenient way to take them off the table where you don't get people saying why is he not writing anything for Lois and John if it's in story they're off for a while yeah I agree with that and I think like I think we've seen Superman go away for a while more than once you know Mm -hmm. and I think it's a little interesting without fridging her something awful like that (laughs) I think it's interesting to take Lois and John away for for a little bit. I don't I want it to be an extremely brief journey. Because but I mean really we've had 2 years of very Lois and John heavy Superman family stories. Mm-hmm. And I think if he focuses on the Daily Planet a little bit, which very much does include Lois and it will. I can't imagine Brian Michael Bendis not wanting to write Lois. No, Lane, he seems right? he seems to really want to write Lois. Yes, so it's going to happen. And he knows what the talk on the internet's going to be like after this comes out, you know? Mm-hmm. He knows it. He's smart enough to know that. Um I think it's good. I think I think this was a really nice I like this new uh reporter that got introduced that appears to have some sort of sinister angle. Um I love it warms my heart, you guys, to see the Jose Luis Garcia Lopez art. Yep. Um, oh my it's god, so good, such a treat. Yeah, it's classic, but not in like in out, not outdated. Right. I mean, it's it, it actually feels surprisingly modern. It does. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's like classic, only in that like the the Daily Planet is a little bit more classic of a news like they they're not going to have all the most high tech stuff and Clark is going to look a little bit goofy because he's trying to be a kind of a nerd goofy human but that's right? that's the way like, you should be yeah exactly i mean it's perfect it's note perfect you know um man i i love his art i where where has he been all these years <laughs> I mean, he's he's no spring chicken. I know, I know, but to to still be able to do work like this, it just shows that he's not phoning this in. You know, right. this is great. Yeah, I I I think it would be great if Bendis were to be able to get him to do a story or two a year. Mm-hmm. Like that's mm, you know, yeah, that would be a lovely treat. That panel at the very end of. Perry like holding the stack of papers and that like smirk on his face. I, it's just perfect. I love it. 
Man, this guy draws the shit out of this stuff. Oh, man. It's good. I don't want this to be the last time we say a good thing about a Bendis comic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I hope this is good. Yeah. If this is this good, then... Then it's good. Then it's good. <laughs> yeah. If it's good, it's good. <laughs> I mean, and we'll know sooner than later, because Man of Steel starts next week, doesn't it? Um, no. Two weeks? End of, Two. I thought it was end of... Wait... You're... No wait, I'm sorry. I, I think it's it's six weeks wrapping up at the end of June. So I think it's actually yeah. like two weeks from now it starts. Yeah. It's um pulling it up right now. Actually it's the very end of May. Oh, May thirtieth. Oh okay. Yeah. Sorry. Got your hopes up. I'm dead. That's all right. No justice starts. Yes it does. And we'll talk about that right now. Um so we get the No Justice uh, Prelude, written by Scott Snyder, James Town the Fourth, and Josh Williamson, illustrated by Jorge Jimenez. That good, good Jorge Jimenez art. Uh, I oh my god, I could gush about the art in this little segment. <sighs> Zach doesn't appear to like it. Zach? What Zach? Don't you like fun? Did he get blasted? Did he get blasted off the show for not liking <laughs> No Justice? I don't not like it. A, I mean, like again, I think this is the same complaint I had about um, Joy. Um, no, uh, what was it? The 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 Bendis story in Action One Thousand, like that. Just this isn't a story. Oh no, it's it's not a story. Oh, this isn't even close to a story. No. No, no. Whereas like the Benda story in this is a story, and for better or worse, like the Tom King thing is like a bad story, but it did it, it I don't know. This is just like a teaser, other than the cool little bit at the end. This is just like advertising your action figures. Um But uh, this is kind of doing that thing that the, finding out that the team names are based out on these like four fundamental energies of the universe. <laughs> Did like, you know that already? I don't think so. I didn't know that. I want to say that was announced in an interview or something. Snyder, has, ta- Snyder has talked about that. Yeah. Did he? Okay, well, I hadn't seen that, and now I'm seeing it, and I'm like, okay. <laughs> You're like, that's another thing. <laughs> <laughs> DC's like Encyclopedia of Arcana is going to be like insanely thick. Tobin Spirit Guide. <laughs> yeah. Um, you cut Ghostbusters no. reference for you folks out there. Zach, none of what you just said is wrong, but I accepted that and I like it. Like, that's I read, fine. I read this segment and I'm like, oh, this is just an advertisement that tells you who's on each team again, shows you some really killer art of action of the type that we can expect to see with these teams. And it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't tell a story. It's very formula. It's formula all the way through. Each page, yeah. it's like we're going to check in with the other team, you know, and they go through yeah. the four teams and then they go. And maybe if for... we hadn't known the teams already. That's well, that would, like this, you know, the bad thing of comics. That's the worst thing of comics. Yeah, of course. Like yeah. if this was the first time I was seeing this, my mind would just be exploding. 
Um, <laughs> but because I already know who's on every team, it's yeah. hard to care about this. Okay, there there is a bit of dialogue here that is so great, though. So um, Batman is on the comms with with Superman, and he says, "What's the status of Team Mystery?" And Superman says, "Well, I'm about to throw a despotic starfish at a giant floating bane, a brain. So I guess we're doing swell. Everything about that is great. Everything yeah, about good. that is great. Like, and and that's what Snyder does so well with this stuff. I feel like Snyder really has a good handle." on what the, like, goofy DC language is, but also has a good handle on how these characters talk, and he merges the two really well. Absolutely. That's fair. Yeah. And, uh... And Jorge Jimenez. Jorge Jimenez, Italian, oh my Italian God. chef kissing fingers emoji. <laughs> every, every page, every panel is beautiful. It's easy to rain down praise on the big spreads that show the team like the, the all the different spreads because they're gorgeous um but i just want to point out like there's a there's a just like the image of ollie standing in the smoke and the rubble or in that on the that bottom one page. of that page of supergirl's surprise yep like her incredibly You're... expressive face yep and then there's one let's see i'm missing the page but there's one with uh, there's like an image of Damien. Um, it's on the <sighs> my PDF is fucking up, you guys. Um, hold on. No, it's no, 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 no. It's um, Beast Boy. That whole that segment with Beast Boy, where he's asking, where he's like, "We're going to win." Yeah, I love. Not only do I love that little part as like a dialogue bit between him and Batman, but I love the just sort of like determination that that Jimenez puts into those characters. You know, mm-hmm. it's just very like very DC to me. This is what you know. They, oh man, I, I've wanted so badly for the Teen Titans and the Justice League to interact and not be like butting heads anymore. Right. You know, I am totally the wrong guy to be making this comparison. But that there's that page with Beast Boy where he's talking to Bruce, and there's the the, the panel of him where he's he's in he's in uh, profile, and it says as long as we keep fighting out here. To me, that looks like in an anime right before the big battle starts. <laughs> yes. Yep. <laughs> and again, I'm You're... I'm the wrong guy to make that reference, but. You know, no, but you got it. That's absolutely, yeah, that's absolutely what it is. Oh, I love the the other image. I love is the one of Lobo leaping down with the chain behind him, and the um the bad guys like dragging behind him in the chain on the chain. Yeah. Oh man, I love it. That's such a small panel, but it's perfect. Yeah. Zach, what else do you hate about this? I don't hate anything about <laughs> it. It's just... I'm just playing. I love the last two pages. Those are my favorite part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I liked, That's very... I, I, I like him putting... Uh, Snyder putting Supergirl and Ollie, two members of Justice League United, together. Mm, yep. Mm-hmm. 
or the CW, uh, <laughs> the stars of the CW. I, I That's choose, true too. I choose to think of Jeff Lemire's Justice League. <laughs> That's fair. You That's don't fair. like uh, the CW shows anymore, Brian? Uh, I, I I actually just caught up with Legends of Tomorrow this week, and uh, it's so fucking goofy and fun. <laughs> I have heard people say that it's like the best thing in the. I know you guys talked about this in the week right now. on the week I wasn't here, but Gorilla Grodd tries to go back in time and kill Barack Obama. <laughs> and... Does he bungle it? <laughs> he does bungle it. He actually, when he shows up, he goes barf cyclo crumbo. <laughs> I have I have to say the guy who plays Obama is fantastic. Is he? He totally he totally nails like the the vocal cadence of Barack Obama. It's amazing. Uh, absolutely amazing. Um, uh, but no, th- this was this was fun. I think overall for what this comic was trying to be, which was sort of a uh, you know a- an appetizer for the summer events, I think it's incredibly successful. Because I think if you like Tom King's Batman, you probably like what King did here. And if you're a if you're a Snyder Justice League guy, you're gonna like this. And if you know, I just feel like it gives a really good taste of what each of these events hopefully feels like. Mm, yeah, it. Um, I do miss DC doing these kinds of books for sure. I will ask the same question we've asked a few times now, though. Why isn't this their free comic book day book? Well, isn't it kind of technically only it like it's going to it kind of sort of is. It's just coming out the Wednesday before free comic book day and they're charging a quarter for it. Right. But but why do that? I have no idea. I guess they maybe think that free comic book day isn't important enough anymore. I don't know. To me, it seems like it's more important than ever. They uh they don't really have a free comic book day offering, do they? Like I think they're doing like a DC other than like the like a superhero girls reprint or something like that. Right, right, but they don't have like their gold level no, one. No, which this should be. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Um. Yeah, there's a whole conversation to be to be had about how DC and Marvel keep fucking up for comic book day, but <laughs> that's for a different time and place. Marvel's looks good. Yeah, this year they do. Um, yeah, in general, I just I don't understand why DC wouldn't want to be a bigger partner in this in this day, especially because when you think about it, like when when Free Comic Book Day wasn't that big of a deal, like they launched Blackest Night out of Free Comic Book Day. Oh yeah. You well, know? it used to be a very big deal. Yeah. Um, but then they would uh, they would alternate it between being like a really big deal in terms of comics and then it being like a really crappy deal in terms of promoting bad movies with yeah. bad comics. Yeah. <laughs> or comics we've all read before. Yeah. And then there was like the Trinity War tease that was like a full year or two before the actual Trinity War comic. <laughs> right, but that was oh man. That was one of the good ones, in my opinion. I liked that. Well, there was so much to unpack in there. Yeah, yeah. And that was, like, that ah. was... Um, no, I'm not going to say that on the air. I don't want to get someone in trouble. But uh, <laughs> we, I got a copy of that early, and uh, 
some multiversity folks were able to enjoy that with me, and it was uh, it was super. Co- I, I felt like I was in on something really secret and cool, even though I'm sure I wasn't the only person who saw that. But it just felt very, you know, very uh, special. But I, I really mm-hmm. wish I really wish DC would do that again. I, I think that especially after Marvel is having the biggest opening in cinematic history this weekend to have put something competitive with Marvel on the free comic book day shelves just seems to make sense to me, but that's all right. I'm happy with this stuff. Um, of these three books that were teased, which is the one you guys are most excited for? Oh man. Definitely Bendis Superman. Like, I'm excited for No Justice, but it is only a four-issue thing. And granted, it'll lead into all the Justice League stuff, but... I never thought I'd say this, but I guess it is. Ben to Superman. God, fool, fool me for the sixth time or whatever yeah, right, it is. Right. We, have, we have to <laughs> save this in a time capsule. Yeah. So that when we're all pissed off six months from now, we can come back to this. Oh, God, Lord, help me. I tried to change, but I got to go back to the old me. Uh, coming soon, our Kanye spinoff podcast. <laughs> Bill Cosby, not innocent. Yeah. <laughs> Zach, as our resident Kanye boy, what would the name of our Kanye podcast be? Oh. I don't know. Free thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> it is free. None of our listeners can complain. <laughs> I, I think it would be keep it loopy. Keep it loopy. <laughs> That's got to be it. Yeah. Uh, that or just like. I'm here for the music. <laughs> or or some 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 collection of his tweets put together. Mm-hmm. Man, somebody just needs to make like a Kanye tweet generator already. <laughs> Zach, be the change you want to see in the world. Okay, you're right. You're right. <laughs> All right, let's do this. Let's take a quick break. We'll be back in just a minute with more DC Three Hello, we're the hosts of the Multiversity Manga Club podcast. I'm Emily. I'm Zach, and I'm Walter. Each month, we pick a manga to read and discuss among ourselves. Past books include Monster, A Silent Voice, and Pokemon Adventures. We also look back on the past month's installments of Weekly Shonen Jump, discussing the highs and lows from the Viz Anthology. We've even discussed notable manga adaptations like Netflix's Death Note. At the end of each episode, we announce next month's book club pick so you can read along with us. We're always open to suggestions for future books as well. So join us on the first Friday of every month on multiversitycomics.com, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. And we are back. We're going to talk about Action Comics Special Number 1, written by Dan Jurgens, Mark Russell, Lax Mandis, uh, <laughs> illustrated by Will Conrad, and um, who did the... Uh, who did the um, the Mark Russell story? Oh, we should know this. We should be on top of this. Well, I usually write this stuff down, and I just didn't. Uh... It was um, man, why don't I remember this? Jill, it was Jill Thompson. Jill Thompson, the, yes. that's right. Yeah, great, yeah. Jill Thompson yeah. and Francis Manipal. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so you have three stories here. One of them is clearly the the sort of the headline, which is the the finale of the Dan Jurgens Lex Luthor Superman story. Yeah. Um, could this have been any more disappointing? <laughs> it was really bizarre. It it seemed to make no sense in the context of this story. Yeah. Like, this whole story has been about how Lex is something different than we thought he was. How it, Lex is forcing us to challenge and change our preconceptions about who Lex Luthor is. And this issue basically says, nah, he goes back to that in the future. <laughs> and not even, like, giving a compelling reason for why he would. Just he does. Yep. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's literally what I just said. Lex is, I tried to change, but he's got to go back to yeah. the old him. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's that meme. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, yep. I mean, it's like the inartful way that, you know, at the end, I always bring this damn... Uh, issue up but in the very last issue of grant morrison's batman he talks about having to put all the toys back in the box and having everything has to go back to the status quo or whatever right and this is like the most inartful way of basically demonstrating that right yeah more or less and again like we know that in no justice Lex is part of that team. Mm-hmm. And granted, there's lots of villains in that team, but it's not like they needed... I don't think Lex needed to be reset. I think that Lex was in an interesting place right now. And we know Bendis isn't going to use Lex right away. So let let Lex be this kind of moral gray character for a while. This just felt very lazy to me. Yeah. I actually did wonder while I was reading it, I was like, does this, does this take place in the same... like?" timeline that we've been reading and then i thought well john is the like john's essentially the same age like it really felt like a story out of time in a weird way i don't know it was really bizarre yeah um yeah i kind i kind of wish jurgen's run would have ended with that superman day story in action 1000 yeah. Sorry, Dan. What did you guys think of the Mark Russell, Jill Thompson story? Um, the very topical White House Correspondence Dinner story. <laughs> yeah. Clark is Michelle Wolf. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh I'm going to wag my finger at Clark. He's too mean. Mark Russell's finger is so on the pulse. <laughs> I love Mark Russell. More on that later. Yeah. <laughs> um, this was probably the my favorite story in the issue. It was fun. Um, yeah, I liked it. I liked uh, the art was great. Um, For some reason, the Flash sitting at a banquet table cracked me up. <laughs> <laughs> And Clark saying, better hope he doesn't dine and dash is yeah. like, 
That's just perfect. That's what he would say. It's a you perfect know? Clark joke. Yep. Yep. It's like a joke that, you know, Bob Hope would have told 50 years ago and everyone would have thought it was actually, like, honestly funny. Because we were all different back then. <laughs> Much lamer. <laughs> um, yeah, I liked it a lot. I think one of the more underrated aspects is the Jill Thomas art, Jill Thompson art, rather, from, like, the video screen of Superman doing stuff. Mm-hmm. I love the motion she gives Superman in those panels. Oh yeah, really great. That's a good. That's a good call. She's great. She's like a chameleon too, in some ways. I've I've seen her, you know, having just recently read her old Wonder Woman stuff, reading that Wonder Woman graphic novel she did not that long ago, seeing her pop up here and there. You know, she's her art's always a little different. Like I don't think I can't always tell when it's her. Yeah. And yet, I think it's always so good. No matter what sort of style she's trying to go for. Um, she's great. That's another person that, that's another person that should get study your work if, if she wants it. I don't know. You always say that, but you never really know what what these artists are actually looking for or right. wanting to do. Yeah. You know. Now, do you think that the anything that these two did in this issue will ever be picked up again? Or is this a one-time deal? With Lex running for president again? Well, wasn't there another... Wasn't there something mentioned about President Lex in the... Um, I think it was in the Bendis The Bendis story, wasn't story? it? Yes. Like, yeah. Barry was talking about an article that Clark wrote. Yeah. Which could have been for the... I mean... I think they might do President Lex again. I seeing as our own dang president is basically Lex Luthor, am I right? People? I mean he is a very stable genius, much like <laughs> Lex himself. <laughs> Lex is smarter in his pinky finger than our goddamn yep. president is. A fictional character. And he's a fictional, yeah, a fictional evil that, character. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Every one of us would sign up for President Lex Luthor at this point. As long as I was promised that he would ground me into a fine protein paste <laughs> as soon as possible, I'm signing up for that. Uh, as long as he promises me Australia. <laughs> a little Superman 2 reference there for you folks. Yeah, I got uh, you. Yeah. And then we get... Um, the story that was originally too hot for TV after Max Landis came out as a dipshit yet again. Um, <laughs> he was removed from, what was it, was the Action 1000? Or was no, it, it was like be... a Christmas special. Oh, yeah. The holiday special, I yeah. should say. Yes. Yeah. So, my one note on this is you can see how quickly... Francis Manipal had to put trunks on Superman. There's that first <laughs> panel of him like holding up the crook guy, and it looks like an MS Paint somebody put on the trunks. <laughs> it is so sloppily done. I've gone back and done that to all the comics since the New 52 debuted <laughs> in, in crayon. I've just gone over all of them. It's really bad. Um, 
But the art itself is really good. Yes, the art itself is really good. The story's not. <laughs> it's, it's, I like the bit on the roof where yes. Lois is just excited and it's like, why are you like this? That was like a great response. Um, that yeah. was the best part. Yeah. I was also very confused because I didn't realize it on our on our PDF we had a bit of the preview for the unex, uh, uh the unexpected. Yeah, yeah. I'm like this is not a superman story this is really yeah. bad. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I didn't read that thing. I'm excited for the book but I'm not uh I didn't want to read the I think that's absolutely understandable. Yeah. All right, we done with action comics? Yeah. Fairly well. Bye, Jurgens. Yep. Fairly well. Can't wait to see you on Green Lanterns. (laughs) Oh, boy. All right. Now it's on to Book of the Week Batman number 46. Oh, let's just not. Written by Tom King, illustrated by Tony Daniel. I do want to say one thing. How great is the new trade dress for DC's variants? Oh, it's it's wonderful. It's the best. For those that haven't seen it, it, essentially, the DC logo remains intact, but all the other trade dresses removed. And at the bottom of the image, it just says like Batman forty six King Daniel Mori. That's it. It's it's a totally clean, very uh, very art forward way to present a uh, the covers, and it's it's beautiful. It, yeah, it's wonderful. I I love that. And I kind of wish they would meet somewhere in the middle with the, uh, like, main cover, you know? Yeah. I wish I wish the logos, as a general rule, were smaller. And I wish, yeah, I wish they, I wish they were that elegant. Um, I kind of like when there's, like... I like when characters have speech bubbles on the covers of comics, and I do like the little like, um, like the on this boxes. on the cover on the no, well on the co- I was talking about the lettering like oh, okay. on the cover where it says "On the Run from the Future." Mm-hmm. I do like that stuff, but I feel like not every cover needs it. I feel like if you have a really clever, great idea for text like that, you should be able to do it. But I oftentimes feel like it's overused and and it gets in the way of the art, you know? So I wish, I wish they would somehow meet a little bit in the middle for the main covers between what they have now and what they're showing on the variants. And you just, like, look at all that clashing font. Like, you have the the font of the, the title of this art. Mm-hmm. And then you have the logo font. You have the... DC Universe um, font. Yeah, and you have the font for the um, like the issue on the run yeah. from the future, and then you have like the 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 green that's on the logo doesn't really it kind of clashes with the cover itself. I think. Yeah, yeah, it's not. It's a little garish, you know. Yep. <laughs> yep, I agree. There, there's just, I mean, I understand why comics have to have a big title across the top because of the way that they're presented in a comic book shop or whatever, and they need to be eye-catching. 
You need to know exactly which issue you're buying. I get it. But I feel like there are little tweaks that could be made. I will say that DC's general trade dress is very good right now. Oh, yeah. It is. Yeah, like the just the logo thing is great. What's not great is this fucking issue. <laughs> Speaking of Edgelord, you guys. If you want to read a comic where almost everybody is dead at the end. Yeah. Oh, man. There's one thing I did like in this issue. The Just one page. thing. The Michelle yeah. Pfeiffer costume. Yeah, that was it. Yeah. yeah. That was a nice touch. I liked it, too, except it almost makes it... It makes it seem like the Michelle Pfeiffer costume is bad by saying that, like, hey, I'm Booster Gold, I don't know how to sew, I'm real shitty at this, and this is what you ended up with, even though it's mm. actually a really great costume. It's a little. Bit... I thought that was a fun explanation for why that costume has so many weird stitches. Yes, I, I was going to say that. I wonder if that's the explanation for all of the New Fifty Two. Is that everybody has to make their own costumes, and that's why there's so much stitching. Hiyo. <laughs> Otherwise, this comic sucked. Yeah, and I mean some... it definitely sucked. Yeah. For some reason, I was under the mistaken impression that this was only a two-issue arc. And I got so mad when I got to the end and it said to be continued. Why did I think that, you guys? I don't know. How many issues is this, please, will you tell it's me? It's three. It's three. Oh, thank God. Because 48 is this is something else, I'm pretty sure. The, the, um, the road the, to the wedding. Isn't that, yeah, isn't that the bachelor party? Going maybe? down the aisle. Going it's, down um, the aisle. The best man part one. Man, I... Oh, hey... I really I got, wish I, they would do a Batman bachelor party issue where it's like uh, Jason takes him to a strip club and Clark is just drinking milk. And, uh, yeah. Well, you know, you know what would happen? The freaking Joker would invite himself and the strip club they'd go to would be a little place called Arkham Asylum. Oh. Anyone? That's almost too twisted. Yeah, yep. I'm I paused there for all the laughter that our listeners are going to be interjecting in there. Yeah. There's a there's one line of dialogue in here that I forgot was like so particularly bad that I just have to bring it up and then I'm done. Is it all I'm, I'm of done. Mr. I'm being, no, this is actually a this is actually a Martha Wayne original. Um, <laughs> oh, Bruce's dad is almost dead. No, no, no. Bruce's dad is in surgery. Bruce says, Mother, it's going to be fine. And Martha responds with, Oh, Bruce, you never were the world's greatest detective. <laughs> yep. Fa- yep. Yep. You got it. Fantastic. That, uh, did, yep. Did anybody else if read you did, Bruce? I felt like I got. <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead, Vince. I felt like I got hammered in the face with a gigantic, uh, spiral ham <laughs> during that line. Did uh did anybody else read Bruce as Buster Bluth here? <laughs> like when they're in the they totally should have had the doctor come out and say we've lost him. Yeah. <laughs> no, he's, he's all he's... right. <laughs> <laughs> he calls her mother and everything. He's totally Buster Bluth. He is Buster. <laughs> uh, Uncle Daddy uh, Alfred, come on. It's it's all, it's all right there. <laughs> 
it's all Uncle right there Dan. for us. Uncle Father Alfred. Yeah. Uh, he's going back to army. Yeah. Um, he's looking at a map and he's thinking that the the blue Lewis parts are land. land. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't have his glasses on, so he flirts with a uh, fawn or. A... <laughs> no, what is it? Uh, what kind of plant is it? Is it uh... a <laughs> whatever? Yeah. There's there's five pages of just. Deleted expletives. Yeah. <laughs> you freak bitch. <laughs> you know that, that the last line there, when Bruce is yelling no, the next page is, I'm a monster! <laughs> it's totally Buster Bruce. That's our new character. Buster Bruce. This DC character. Uh, oh, man. DC call us. Uh, yeah, please save us, save us from this. We don't want to do this cursed podcast anymore. Shaman, <laughs> uh... somewhere Tom King is like standing on a rooftop, looking down on us, and he's saying, "No, no. <laughs> there's always money in the Batcave." All right, let's let's move on. Uh, Cyborg number twenty-two. Anybody read this? Oh, I no. no. This is still going. It is. Introducing McCann X, the man god. Yeah, this is garbage. Don't bother reading it. All right. Did you, did you read it? Of course I did. Man, you are a cyborg fiend. I uh, got Borg fever. How can I say? Uh, it's not very good. <laughs> you want to do my taxes? No. It's um, like the entire issue is built around the idea that cyborg. It, it, he's like he's trying to play the people who have kidnapped him and the way he's playing it is that they have these giant robots and he's like i want to fly a giant robot because that's cool and they're like okay you can fly a giant robot and the whole time you're supposed to be like you know okay he's obviously doing this to gain intel but he basically says like i'm doing this to gain intel but also because it's cool to fly a giant robot and it's just dumb it's just really dumb i don't disagree with them no i mean i, I would fly a giant robot why not hmm uh, let's get to Deathstroke versus Batman Part Two. Deathstroke number thirty-one. Um, again, beautiful variant cover, presented really well. Yeah. Um, so, this issue does some really interesting stuff, especially the way it ends. This is uh, this is definitely a different type of Deathstroke story for Priest mm-hmm. to be telling. But I'm kind of enjoying it. What do you guys think? Zach, you go first. I'm enjoying it. It is weird, though. Um, the Bruce stuff was particularly interesting. Some really nice detective stuff. Yes. I love I love the way he was like a boots-on-the-ground detective type stuff. Uh, had a detective role, and I love that they came up with a reason to why it has to be Bruce. You know, mm-hmm. it all felt very well uh, as anything that Priest writes. It felt very well considered and and perfectly explained to the reader why the sequence of events happened the way that they did, and how you make how you get Bruce and Batman involved and stay really true to those two characters. Um, I know we got on the book a little bit last time for it not really 
it it kind of feeling like the Damien paternity stuff was shoehorned in, you know? But I felt like that got smoothed out a little in this issue. Um, it's funny. It's still just a really funny book. I love the sort of kinship between Alfred and Wintergreen. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. I'm just loving this. Man. Can you believe Priest took so much time off from writing comics? (laughs) I'm just glad he's back. Yeah. And and good again, still. I love how there was the the fake Batman. Yeah. In this issue, I... Everything about this is so good. It's so... Vince, you used the word well-considered before. And that's a great way to put it. I also want to point out that it's, it's pretty impressive to me how cohesive the art looks in this issue when you look at how many people were involved with making the art. Mm. Um, let me just pull up the credits here for a moment. Um, it, it, it's one of those... Uh, Larry Hama does the, uh, the the breakdowns, and then there's... Uh, hang on, where are we here? Come on. I just had it a minute ago. Here we go. Okay, so Hama's doing the breakdowns, then Carlo Pagulian and Robert Viacara are doing pencils. Jason Paz is inking it, and Jeremy Cox is coloring it. That's a lot of hands in the pot here, but it never seems like it's mismatched or there's not that weird shift between artists in the middle of it. It all feels pretty consistent, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. I really don't know if I could have picked out the difference. Um, so what do you think about the ending where... It sort of implies that maybe, uh, maybe Damien is Slade's son. Oh, yeah, it's your classic. I mean, it's not. Hickory. It's not. Yeah. yeah. But it worked. It was handled. You know, it it sets it up in a fun way. Oh yeah, for sure. Um. Yeah. Anything else to say about this? No, it's it's just super good. It is good, yeah. yeah. Still consistently very good. Speaking of good, Green Arrow number 40, written by uh, Colin... I always forget if it's Colin Kelly or Jackson Kelly. It's Colin Kelly, right? Colin Kelly, Jackson, Jackson Lansing. Jackson. And illustrated by Marcio Takara. Guys, I really like this issue again. Yeah. Yeah. Really? Yeah. <laughs> You didn't like this, Zach? Uh, oh, I'm going to be honest. I didn't read it because I thought last issue was just okay. And this is like a fill-in thing, right? It it is a fill-in, but I thought I thought you liked last issue more than more than you did. I guess. Yeah. I thought. I guess I. Uh, I don't remember. Again, don't this. Remember. Again, this is Ollie like trying to do the right thing and. And needing to like learn to take direction from other people, and yeah, it's it's it feels like a very Green Arrow story. You know, there's like um, I can't imagine it's like the perfect story for Green Arrow. You know, this sort of like humanitarian thing that he's on. I can't imagine too many other characters in the DCU 
making the trip here and having this fit, you know? Yeah. And I thought this fit really well. Yeah, I thought this was a lot of... I thought this was really good. I think it um, it walks that line that Kelly and Lansing seem to walk a lot, which is the sort of the intersection of sort of real-world issues and superhero comics. And I think that it doesn't... It doesn't pander to the audience too much. It doesn't give super simple answers. It reinforces this idea that superheroes shouldn't kill, which you know I'm always I'm always for that. I think overall it's just a really solid issue. This is this is one of the better fill-in arcs that we've gotten in Rebirth, in my opinion. Yeah, I I can agree with that. And Marcia Takara's art is always a pleasure to look at. Mm-hmm. All right. Speaking of not good, let's talk about Green Lanterns. <laughs> uh, number 46, written by uh, Tim Seeley, illustrated by our, your friend of mine, V. Ken Marion. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is just... Have I mentioned that I'm just ready for Grant? Yep. <laughs> Grant, I don't take really the have... wheel. <laughs> that is, he is my personal Jesus. So, someone to um, answer your prayers. Fit. Someone who cares. That's right. Yep. Exactly. Reach out and yep. touch bald head. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Um, I mean his dick. <laughs> What if Mob was one of us? <laughs> oh! <laughs> Zach for the win. Yeah, always. God, yeah. he just he just sneaks right in there with the with the knockout punch. Always. Yep. Sucker punching us with just the best jokes. <laughs> uh, I do like the idea. So in this in this issue, Simon is confronted by his like. Earth three power ring sort of doppelganger. Solomon Boz. Solomon, yes. Uh no wisdom here though. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> um which in you know, in theory I like that idea. Um but you know how like one one thing about comics, I feel and I, I think this is like a personal reaction that maybe people it's it's kind of a very subjective thing, which is that like I feel like this is a perfectly valid enemy for the Green Lanterns. And in fact a very good concept. It's a very lantern concept, considering we have like the color spectrum and all that stuff, you know. I it's interesting to when they throw in a new version of the lanterns for them to fight. Except that there are times when writers do it and it feels really consequential, like an ad- an additive piece of the Lantern mythos. And then there's other times where it feels very tossed off and half-assed. And I love Tim Seeley, but this, the way that this is presented to us doesn't register as being an additive thing to the Lantern mythos. Does that make sense? Yeah, I'll even take it a step further. I feel like 
Celie doesn't understand who Jessica is as a character because this backstory to me does not track with her at all. That's that's fair. And that again is is trying to be additive to her backstory, but it just comes off as weird and tone deaf. Yeah, yeah, I can sure. Yep. I can see that. Zach, did you bother reading this? I skimmed it. You're a better man than I. I wish <laughs> I could quit this kind of stuff. You just gotta do it. I guess somebody's gonna talk about it. That's true. <laughs> but they don't have to, but... Speaking of stuff someone's gotta talk about, anybody read uh, Harley Loves Joker? Oh, you know I did. I read the whole thing. Nice. It was okay, right? I mean... Uh, let me say this. After a couple of years of the Palmiati, um, uh Connor, Harley, this is a bit of a breath of fresh air. Yeah. Even if I don't really like this, it's just t- this is so much more to my taste than the Palmiati Connor stuff has been. Mm-hmm. And I agree, and I say that fully knowing, and I always talk about this. I know that the Joker and Harley stuff is technically regressive for the character. Certainly. You know? Yes. I, I understand that. I totally get it. I think there's a way every once in a while to revisit that because it's an integral part of her character. And I think it's okay to do like past stories. If they, I like them when they are playful and they're fun and they're not. I know that the idea of Harley and the Joker is messed up and potentially problematic, you know, but when they do the pure fun, like crime cave, it's kind of like me and the Joker too. Like this is the Joker I like too, you know, like where he's, wearing the purple suit with the goofy green tie and he's driving around in the Joker mobile and it's like madcap mayhem without the like pseudo psych stuff, you know? Yeah. (laughs) That either comes out feeling extremely forced or just really icky and problematic. I like a Harley story like this once in a while. Zach, did you open this PDF? I did open it, yeah. I looked through it. Um, it didn't look like something I'd be interested in, but maybe I'll give it a chance. I mean, I'm not going to read issue two, I don't think. I, I probably was, won't either. It took a didn't furry, we, furry turn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Didn't we have another Paul Denny um, Harley thing that started off like this recently? So it, that was a backup in the in the Harley Quinn book. Wasn't it also shortly, called the same thing? It was called, it was either called Joker loves Harley or Harley loves Joker. I feel like okay. for some reason it was Joker loves Harley. Okay. But I it, thought it was family love Michael. <laughs> Look at banner, Michael. Um, well, yes, it was a backup in that book. It was by the same artist, uh, Brett Blevins. Paul Dini was the writer. Um, 
and it yeah it's from the same era it's all the same this is like an extension of that and at the end of that of the last issue of that backup it did say something like yeah actually i think it said harley loves joker number one coming and i felt like for a while it was gonna be like a a proper miniseries but now i guess it's just a two issue thing um so that's weird but yes this has been a thing before I'm looking through this and I see something that I'm not going to mention on air, but if I remember, I will bring it up oh boy. at, at oh. the end. Is it problematic? It's, I, <laughs> I think it's potentially problematic. Yes. This, oh boy. this is a reason to support our non-existent <laughs> Patreon folks. So you can hear bonus content like Zach telling us what's so problematic in this comic. Do you, do you, I don't want to forget, but I want you to edit this out. Uh, I can't promise I'll do that. Write yourself a note. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Listeners, uh, send a self-addressed, a self-addressed stamped envelope to my house, and I'll uh, I'll transcribe our conversation for you. Well, let's talk about Nightwing number forty-four, written by Ben Percy, illustrated by Chris Mooneyham. What'd you guys think of this? Ooh, you guys go first. Oh, I didn't like this. I thought this was... Mm. Tell me why, Zach. I just like... I will always... Hey, I think the characterization of, of Nightwing as a Blood-eyed is just weird. I feel like he's... Like, he, he, like he's a 90-year-old. I, I feel like that's a relatively consistent thing, though, for the last couple of years. Yeah, I is feel it? like they've... Yeah, I feel like they've presented him that way. Like... He was a... He was a... Agent of Spiral, and he used technology all the time. <laughs> yeah, but I think, like, his preference in his daily life has been fairly consistent that he... I guess this you know. it just it just seems like oh we're making a story about how technology is bad let's play up how how anti-technology Dick Grayson is mm. he just uses a landline because he likes the way the dial tone sound reminds him reminds him of his childhood as a traveling circus boy reminds him of his parents' death yet again yeah, yeah exactly yeah. That scene reminded me of that scene in Adaptation when Meryl Streep is high and she she calls up Chris Cooper to help her make the dial tone sound. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I, I happen to like this. I thought that Chris Mooneyham's art was super fun. It very much, to me, had a 90s DC vibe to it. But it didn't... Oh, do- I got a take about that. I, I've got a take about it, too. Well, lay it on me, boys. Come on. Vince had a take first. I wonder if it's the same take I have. He is the good JRJR. Yep, yeah, that's 100% <laughs> what it is. I can't believe I've never noticed that before because I've gone back with him as far as Five Ghosts. Yeah. And and this is not far removed from his Five Ghosts stuff. No, it like, really uh, isn't. Dick looks, Dick looks exactly like the protagonist of that book, <laughs> down to the hair. And I can't believe I never noticed it before, but it's absolutely... JRJR influence. 
Yeah, it's one hundred percent. It totally has that like nineties comic aesthetic, but it doesn't feel like it's being needlessly throwbacky. You know, it, it it's influenced by, but it doesn't seem it's not gimmicky. This seems to be who Mooneyham is. Mm-hmm. I dug it. That guy eating the the sandwich shop guy oh, taking that bite of the sandwich. So that's great. pure JRJR. Yeah, very relatable too. Oh yeah. It, I mean, um, I loved this, and I think I loved it. And this is not. I'm not knocking Ben Percy here at all, but I think I loved it. Seventy. 7.2% because of the Mooneyham art. And just that opening page of Dick walking through Bloodhaven with like all the lights and signs above him, moving into the subway, getting on the subway car, there's a sense of pacing and movement that's captured in those pages. And then seeing the the car move and the cell phone lights go on in the car when the when they're about to explode in the train car. The, there's just like like you can feel the movement in between panels. Yep. You know, it's like the, it's like the understanding comics thing where from one panel to the other to the next, you fill in what's in between in your mind like automatically. And Mooneyham is an expert at that. Those first few pages felt so evocative to me. And I think there's some really great stuff done throughout the rest of the issue too, but it immediately made this amazing impression on me. There's the page where Dick is laying on the couch and Babs is of course at the computer talking to him and it's, they're kind of presented similarly, but of course they're in different positions based on their characterization, right? Dick would be the one lounging on the couch. Babs would be the one talking and doing something else at the same time. And then you follow up with the page of like 16 panels of them close to their face talking to one another. Lots of expression, lots of back and forth. It's one of those dialogue-heavy pages that was really easy to read. I didn't immediately see it and cringe yep. about the dialogue I was going to read. I Something about the, the art and how it worked with the overall presentation of this issue... Even if the story is just another, yeah, tech is bad, uh, here, your cell phones are blowing up because somebody fucked with them, you know, the presentation was just so good. Good comics to me that I was engaged the entire way through. I guess I'm the odd man out here. <laughs> yeah, I, I, but I, but I, I really love this. But I do see your this. point, Zach. Like, I, I totally see your point. I get that, like... Oh, it's just another generic tech is bad drone story, you know. Only the yeah. only the drone crawls inside Dick's chest. Like, I you are totally right when you say that. But something about the comic booking here got into me, you know. Yeah. Got its hooks in, baby. I'm also like, I also think that when it comes down to it, I I think. It's kind of hard for me to enjoy solo Nightwing stories. If that, which sounds, I, I don't know. I, but I, 
there's something about solo Nightwing stories that I think always fight an uphill battle for me. Um, because... I, I always kind of... It's very easy for Nightwing to just be like second string Batman for me sometimes. And it takes like a really good writer with a really good take to, to not do that. And like, obviously like Dick is much light, more lighthearted than Batman, but I don't know. This, this doesn't reach the heights of say like the Sealy run or, or some, some of the like, I guess like other good Nightwing I've read. But it's also just like a first issue. We'll see. Yeah. I really dig this. I I think that this is the first time that Dick has looked this way since like a lonely place of dying. <laughs> like leather, That's a good call. Like leather jacket Dick. You know, um, I, I'm I'm all in on this. I love the Dick and Babs stuff. I love how incredibly expressive Babs' face is throughout this. There's a panel on that 16 panel page where she's making this like truly bizarre, confused face, and it's wonderful. Um, yeah, I'm probably just tired and cranky. No, no, don't. Your 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 thoughts are perfectly valid on it. They are, but. I mean, wrong, but valid. Uh, <laughs> kidding, kidding. Um, also, yeah, there, there's something I like about Dick being a uh, personal trainer in a junkyard too. It just, just feels very, uh, it just feels very right. But yeah, this is fun. Um, just three more books, boys. Shade the Changing Woman number three, written by Cecil Castellucci, illustrated by Marley Zarconi. Um. This book continues to be a total mindfuck, but a really compelling one. Yeah, I really like this issue a lot. Yeah, I liked it a lot too. I mean, I don't, I don't know what this book can do to, you know, it's just so consistent in style and tone and the story that it's telling that I don't think there's any real way it can disappoint me at this point. Um it continues to be about Megan or shade or whatever you want to call her shedding, trying to shed her humanity. That's causing her so much like existential and emotional anguish. And I get it. (laughs) And also, um, I get, okay. I guess the one thing I'll say is this book dropped a lantern ring in the, I know this is very, comic book fanboy nerd of me to complain about and i'm not even really complaining but they dropped that lantern ring and we haven't seen it yet really so you remember that oh yeah you're right shades like uh i forget the name of that character but shades like uh partner back on yeah yeah you're right yeah yep on meta got that lantern ring and i'm like show me that lantern ring god damn it you know <laughs> But I, I really like this book. Young Animal is just, it's a different animal, so to speak. And uh, it, it's got me hooked, you know. 
what I think is such an underrated part of what Zarconi is doing on this book is that obviously there's great. We were talking in the last about Nightwing about sort of your brain filling in between the panels, and good sequential art does that without even trying, right? It it, it sets up this sort of very natural progression of your eye across the page. And Zarconi is great at that, but there's also these incredible standalone panels. Like the my favorite panel in this book is the Scarecrow panel, where Shades like dress is put on a on a stick, and so it's a scarecrow, and there's still the hole in the heart. It's just this gorgeous panel, and I feel like sometimes when there are these posed panels like that, it can take you out of the narrative flow of the book. But Zarconi does such a great job; it never does that. Mm-hmm. I don't know well about you guys. Said. It, there's all this art in this issue, like like actual art. It reminded me of that book Art Ops by uh, Mike Allred. I didn't actually read that. Okay. I forget who wrote it, but Allred drew it. Um, yeah. Anything else to say about this book, boys? Oh, hold on. Sean Simon and co-writer, guess who? Gerard Way. On uh, Art Ops? On Art Ops, yeah. Really? Yep. Well, there we go. There you go. Indeed. I might have to go back and read that. You should. It's good. I'm a huge Allred nut, but for whatever reason, that evaded me. Uh, yeah, that was a lot of fun. Um. Well, let's talk about Snagglepuss, then. Exit stage left, number five. <laughs> the suicide of Huckleberry Hound. <laughs> yeah, that's really that's a really dark and sad place for a, a Hanna-Barbera cartoon. Yeah. A cartoon for children, even. <laughs> um, Zach, did you, are you still not reading this? Yeah, I'm... I'm... I'm going to wait and read it all when it's done. Yeah. Boy, I, I don't know about you, Brian, but I really liked this. This was the best issue so far. Yeah. And I've liked the this, book, but this was really good. Yeah. This was the, the this was the most Mad Men... Mad Men? Mad Men. This, <laughs> this book could be, you know? It's... It's so layered... And it's not exactly subtle, like no, 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 not at all. Snagglepuss makes these speeches, and then they they overlay these other scenes that are happening elsewhere over his dialogue. Specifically, scenes happening from the opening night of his play. Right. Yep. Yep. And the, like the symbolism is all over the place, and it's fairly obvious. But I, it's, I think even though it's obvious, it's pretty elegantly done, and I think like. Snigglepuss's dialogue is just so on point. Um, Mark Russell has a way with words for boiling these like big philosophical and political concepts down to a handful of sentences or phrases, and he never loses the voice. You know, basically, the second half of this issue is Snigglepuss preaching. Yeah, <laughs> basically. But the voice is so on point and engaging. Um, and also, I agree with all of it. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yes. We, we need the deviance. We do. Um, 
but it it very much felt like the penultimate episode of a Mad Men season, especially with a character killing themselves. Yeah, this was essentially Snagglepuss doing the wheel. <laughs> yeah, is yeah. That what it's called? Is it the wheel? No, the carousel. Um, the carousel. The episode's called the wheel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Because Don Draper says he says it's not a wheel; it's a time machine. Yeah. But the product is called the carousel. Yeah. It takes you back and forth through time to a place where you want to go again, a place where you are loved or yeah. something like that. Yeah. And then I run out of the room crying. Yeah. <laughs> and good luck at your next meeting, gentlemen. Yes. <laughs> oh, mad men. This is good. I did not read the backup again because I don't care about the backup anymore. <laughs> Oh, it's it's cute though. I mean, it's nothing. It it's not earth shattering, but it's cute. Sure, it is. It is. Sasquatch detective. Come on, okay. uh, Selena Kyle she shows never up. Was the greatest detective? <laughs> <laughs> you always know just what to say, Zach. Oh, Buster Bruce. <laughs> so, Selena Selena shows up in that. So you'll remember Wonder Woman was in the last one, yes. which was weird. And now Selena's getting her uh, getting a pedicure at this spa, and she says, "Thank you, I have a big day coming up." <laughs> so, the Batman Catwoman wedding is in continuity in Sasquatch Detective. In case you were wondering, okay, I was. <laughs> you think she'll be at the wedding? You think she'll get no! invited? That would be crazier than uh, freaking Sideways showing up at <laughs> Superman Day. <laughs> oh, I can't! I, want I can't wait for that shot in Batman number fifty where they show the church full of people, and it's like Plastic Man and a tuxedo. You, you know, you know that panel. It's in like every superhero wedding uh, yeah. ever. I can't wait for that. Yep. yep. Oh, it's gonna be great. Yeah, and Sasquatch Detective. Yeah, Sasquatch right right in the back, sitting right next to Sideways and uh, Blue Electric Superman. And it's gonna oh. the the quote unquote camera is gonna go out of the church doors it's going to go into the graveyard and there's going to be huckleberry hounds gravestone <laughs> right nestled right between the wains yeah <laughs> <laughs> what if the way that uh, booster gold fixes all of this is that he makes uh bruce witness huckleberry hounds suicide and that gets him to be batman again that sounds about right to me <laughs> What if the way Booster Gold fixes it is he merges the Hanna-Barbera and the DC universes completely? <laughs> he punches the wall between yeah between Hanna-Barbera and DC. I'm, I'm trying to think of the of the the funny name for this Flashpoint event that would happen. Um, It'll just be called Flashpoint Even. Flashpoint Even, yeah. <laughs> Crisis on Infinite Evens. There we go. There it is. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about the Curse of Brimstone and then get the fuck out of here. Uh, Jesus. Written by Justin Jordan. Illustrated. I've been having a lot of fun. Me too. I'm just saying. It's the end of the show. That's all. Uh, illustrated by Philip Tan. Uh, we have not decided this week if this is the good Philip Tan or not. We'll get to that momentarily. Better. Better Philip Tan. Definitely bad. Um, Zach, did you read this? 
I I tried. I really tried. This I think this is the first uh, New Age of Heroes book that I'm just I, I can't. You guys didn't read something New Age of Heroes recently that I read. I bailed mm. on. I bailed on damage. That's what. Yeah, I've read every New Age of Heroes oh, okay. thing. Okay. Um, but yeah. So Zach didn't really read it. Vince, you read it. What'd you think? I I read it. I think I liked it a little more than the first issue, which is to say not very much. But I I didn't hate it. I just don't think that I'm on. I don't think it's. I don't think it's bad. I don't think it's a bad comic. I think it's a little light on story. I think if you're into Philip Tan, this is your book because he does do a lot of very like atmospheric um, pages involving destruction and nature. And there's a scene, if I remember correctly, where it shows like how all these different towns that this um, salesman has been to, mm-hmm. the, the sort of the sorts of fates that they've met. And I think if you like Philip Tan, I think he's doing Philip Tanny work here. And I know he has his fans. I'm not one of them. The st- the story's a little too light for me, but I think I misjudged the book originally when we talked about it the first time. Uh-huh. But I but I still don't like it. If that's any sure, it's just yeah. not it's just not my bag. You know, there's only so many books you can like in the world, and. <laughs> And this one's not getting, not getting through to me. So, I will say this: I thought this was the good Philip Tan this week. I think I mean I, this is not my favorite book of the week by a long shot, but I thought Philip Tan did a lot of stuff that I think that this this issue had a lot more interesting layouts and a lot more interesting just art in general. Even if it's not particularly my style, I feel like this is Tan going for it. Whereas last week felt like Tange kind of phoning it in, last month rather. Um, I will say this. I am not particularly a fan of the story. However, I'm interested to see where the story goes because the story seems very finite to me right now. This seems like a two or three issue miniseries in terms of what can happen with this character and this plot. So I'm interested to see how they turn this into an ongoing. That's not to say I'm going to read the next issue with a ton of glee, but I'm going to give it another shot because I, I do think... This issue presented something more palatable for me. I already know how the third issue is going to end. How's it going to end? Amanda Waller, baby. Brimstone, you're in. You're in the Suicide Squad? Time to join Task Force X, X, S, X, I, Tricky. Tricky. What if the New Age of Heroes... X, 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 S, S, X, Tricky. What if the New Age of Heroes is just creating a new Suicide Squad? Honestly, that's a better trajectory than I would have expected. Because we, Lord knows we all want new Suicide Squad characters, right? Yep. Mm, yes, please. Aside from Sideways, doesn't everybody seem like a Suicide Squad character? <laughs> kind of, yeah. The Silencer, Brimstone, Damage... Those are all Suicide Squad characters. Yep. Well, folks, that does it for this installment of the DC3Cast. Thank you for listening. We appreciate it. 
we would appreciate you going over to multiversitycomics.com and checking out what we have going on over there, as well as rating, reviewing, and subscribing to the show in Apple Podcasts. That helps our show in, in a lot of ways, and we've had some really good numbers lately, so thank you guys for listening. We appreciate it. You can find us on Twitter. I am at Brian Needs a Nap. I'm at Vince Ostrowski. And I'm at SirFox89. And next week we have No Justice kicking off, so that'll be a lot of fun. So make sure mm-hmm. to come back and join us for that. So thanks, folks. Bye. That was that was Yoda, my <laughs> young Skywalker. How do I get uh, with this power tool? Uh, <laughs> <laughs>